one in this family hates me. Then maybe you should ask Santa for a new family. I don't want a new family. I don't want any family. Families suck. Just stay up there. I don't want to see you again for the rest of the night. I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life. And I don't want to see anybody else either. I hope you don't mean that. You'd feel pretty sad if you woke up tomorrow morning and you didn't have a family. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. I'd like a word with you, sir. Am I under arrest or something? No, 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 no. It's uh, Christmas time. There's always a lot of burglaries around the holidays. So we're just checking the neighborhood to see if everyone's taking the proper precautions. That's all. Today, as part of a Christmas special, we'll be discussing Home Alone. Starring Catherine O'Hara. Uh, terrible feeling. Now what? That we didn't do something. Uh, now you feel that way because we left in such a hurry. No, that's not it. What else could we be forgetting? Kevin! John Candy. Now I heard you had some problems. You're uh, getting to Chicago to see your kid or something? Uh, my son, he... We left, and he... He's there. Oh, jeez. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll, we'll gladly drive you. It's on the way to Milwaukee. Daniel Stern. How do you want to go in? We'll go to the back door. Maybe he'll let us in. You never know. Yeah. He's a kid. Kids are stupid. Joe Pesci. Merry Christmas, little fella. We know that you're in there. And that you're all alone. And Macaulay Culkin. Can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah, if you make it quick, Santa's got a little get-together he's late for. Okay. I know you're not the real Santa Claus. I'm old enough to know how it works. But I also know that you work for him. I'd like you to give him a message. Shoot. I'm Kevin McAllister, 671 Lincoln Boulevard. Do you need the phone number? That's right. Okay, this is extremely important. Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family Toys, nothing but Peter, Kate, Buzz, Megan, Linny, and Jeff. And my aunt and my cousins. And if he has time, my Uncle Frank. Okay? Directed by Chris Columbus. This is it. Don't get scared now. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Fuller, go easy on the Pepsi. It's Gally in Glasgow. Have a good trip. Bring me back something French. It's Devlin in London. <laughs> it's Patrick in London. The salt turns the bodies into mummies. It's Matt in <laughs> South Korea. Welcome back, gang, and welcome back, listeners, to a very special episode of the show. Firstly, Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Guys, are we feeling festive? Are we, are we ready for Santa? Uh-huh. We're watching Home yeah, Alone. Of course we feel festive. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 Gonna get, uh, <laughs> gonna visit the, the Santa from the film who doesn't wear his beard and smokes. Yeah, mm. I want my three Tic Tacs. Nice. <laughs> well, uh, listeners, now in, in keeping with my insistence on food-based analogies, like too much bechamel sauce, <laughs> the sandwiches, and of course the exotic coconut taste of the bounty bar, we have a Christmas-related taster menu for you today. But before we get into the highly nutritious microwavable macaroni and cheese, let me get the amuse-bouche out. <laughs> amuse-bouche. My bouche is amused. First film of 2023 that we will tackle 
is Terminator 2 colon Judgment Day, which keen-eyed listeners will recognize as episode 101 for us. Hence T2 seemed oh. an apt choice. Yes, indeed. So there's your homework set over the holiday period. So Terminator 2 is the, it's the first episode of 2023. Get watching now. And then you can enjoy the rest of your holiday when we come back. Excellent. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like getting your homework out of the way on a Friday night so that your Saturday night is free to just party. Anyway, speaking of Christmas, we are discussing the much-beloved Home Alone from 1990. So I will start with you, Devlin. First experiences of Home Alone? Ooh, what a good question. And somehow I was blindsided by it, even though we ask it every single time. <laughs> every time. Uh, <laughs> uh God, I mean, Home Alone was pretty ubiquitous. Um, it was, uh, uh I was six. Um, <clears throat> now I don't think I saw this at the cinema. I don't remember seeing it at the cinema. I was little, but I remember cinema screenings from being younger than this. So that would lead me to believe that I've not seen it, which means that it must have been probably a video rental and then just the perennial TV watch every mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember the scandal that would erupt anytime you'd look in the, uh, the, the big radio times and nobody would have bought the rights to it. And you think, <laughs> what the fuck am I supposed <laughs> to do with this? Uh, cause I, I've, I've never owned it until about two or three years ago when I ended up buying like a cheap DVD two pack. Mm-hmm. Once the rights for everything got kind of sucked down the, uh, the black hole of the early days of Disney plus, um, and it was no longer a guarantee that it would be on channel four. Uh, I, I bought a, uh, just a called like the festive collection or something. It's just What's that, home alone one and two. Or? Yeah. That's not to suggest that you, um, see the home loan series stopping at two because of a, some kind of creative difference with the, the further sequels. No, not at all. If they wanted to chuck all the shit ones on, I'd have bought that as well, but it just <laughs> happened to be the cheapest and most convenient way to buy the films. Cause yeah, I, 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 watch this one every year this is one of the very few films that gets literally an annual airing for for christmas when though devlin and i'll probably ask this for all of you is it christmas eve or do you watch it like as a starter to get you primed i usually try and watch it before so that i can watch uh, home alone 2 lost in new york by christmas day i usually try and watch that maybe on christmas day i I would try and pack them in as close as possible so in the christmas week preferably Mm -hmm. in the couple of days around christmas would be good um, but yeah, otherwise, if you don't watch Christmas, uh, if you, if, if you don't watch Home Alone before Christmas Day, unless you double bill it, that means you don't get to watch Lost in New York until after Christmas, at which point the magic has gone. The pigeons have flown away. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, how about you? <laughs> that was, that was, that was good. That was yeah. quick. Yeah. Two du- turtle doves, whatever. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Patrick? Oh, this is, um, this is fucking awesome. There you go. <laughs> sandwiches. <laughs> there's my, um, cranberry John Hughes filled sandwiches. I, I've always remembered the film. I, um, didn't see it at the cinema. I'd have been four at the time it came out, but I do remember going to the Loughborough Odeon to see Home Alone 2 Lost in New York because I was desperate to see it because I fell in love with this film. I still got the VHS I had from back then. It was on, uh, as Kermode would say, a hard rotation in our house. The mum and dad just couldn't stop me playing because I just loved it so much. And yeah, watch it every year. Um, I watched, this year I bought myself 
I saw something online that was just a little silly little present that was a, an advent calendar that every day you flip over and it's a Christmas film. Watch it that day. And Home Alone was quite early on, actually, and like 3rd of December or something. Home Alone 2 was, um, funnily enough, three days ago. So I've watched them all. I, I kind of tried to adhere to it, but um, I'll happily rewatch it again, <laughs> to be honest. And Christmas Eve is Muppets Christmas Carol. That's the film I watched Christmas Eve. Not um, ah, that's day for me. I go with day for that one. I kind of look forward to watching this film every Christmas, to be honest. It's uh, very fond memories watching it growing up. I just thought it was the coolest thing ever with the battle plan that you laid out and um, very fond memories of drawing that when I was a kid and making up my own one in our house and trying to figure out what I could do um, with my brother and things. Yeah. You, Gally? So do you remember Robin Williams' Toys, the film? Yeah. 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 So Home Alone, I watched Home Alone and I was a bit of a mischievous child. So like you, I also created the battle plan, but I genuinely tried to enact them round their home. <laughs> I also remember, so Robin Williams' toys, Phil Collins was in a film where there was a house that was booby-trapped and I was trying to, well, not a house being booby-trapped, but there were traps everywhere. And one of the traps was a bucket of water above a door, which I did do. And I got in trouble okay. uh, for doing that one. So yeah, Home Alone, strong, <laughs> strong rotation. <laughs> I will say this, it wasn't the cinema. Um, I, you know, my dad loved a good record off TV. Yeah. Keep tape for the rest of time. Um, he was devastated when DVDs came in. <laughs> Did he break the, you break the tab off, right? You break the tab. Yes, of course. And, um, and then when he discovered the, the dual, uh, video tape, uh, my God, where you could tape off other tapes. That's when Blockbuster, you know, we, we used to go every week. Um, <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. Uh, this one every year. I am going to say that I watched this one on Christmas Eve, but I watch loads of Christmas movies on Christmas Eve once I've done my prep for, for Christmas dinner. It's pretty much like I'll smash through three or four, but I'm thoroughly enjoying, and we'll probably talk about it, I'm thoroughly enjoying watching the Plus Christmas channel, the Hallmark stuff, which <laughs> is wonderfully yeah. simplistic and really does feed into the idea that I like life's problems to be one thing, which is I need to move out of the city, go back to my small town, and discover my roots. Anyway, uh, Matt, first experiences with Home Alone? I can't remember the first time I saw it, but it was something we owned on VHS. Like Patrick, um, I probably hung on to it for a long time. Uh, I was a bit older. I was probably eight or nine onwards, uh, but I didn't see it at the cinema. Um, probably watched it once a year or more growing up. Um, mm. it, I, I was, I think I was eight when it came out. So I was the same age as Kevin, I think. So it was just kind of perfect. And it felt like one of those that was made to measure. And uh, like the micro machines, I had them, the little aircraft carrier one. I had, yeah. I had that one. Um, so yeah, it wasn't a cinema viewing, but I did see Home Alone 2 at the cinema with my dad at the Darlington ABC uh, when I was 10. And I think I was more impressed than him. And the next film we saw was The Fugitive, which uh, impressed us both more than... Oh, good, than the, good double bill. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I didn't see many films with my dad at the cinema, but... Um, <laughs> the Fugitive, so, that's so random. Yeah, that's a great one. Age 10, The Fugitive. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind doing that, you know. It wouldn't. It, it would be a, a good one to look at. Yeah, um, The Fugitive's great. Uh, a, 2, and D is still so funny to me. I use it all the time and rarely get a laugh. Um, but, uh, <laughs> people just think I'm stupid, I think, but I, I think Buzz is hilarious. Uh, me and my sister still say a lovely cheese pizza just for me. 
Mm. Um, she got in touch last week and said that her and her boyfriend, James, were arguing which was superior, Home Alone or or Lost in New York. And she thought two. Um, she's mm. seven years younger. So she, founds, she finds that more Christmassy mm. and it's more extreme. And uh, I think the New York element does a lot for her. But I, I mm. still think the first is is superior and, and yeah but they're both on my list every year I, I think devlin's analysis was quite good that you've got to put home alone on to kick things off on the 10th of december our foreigner community here in korea we we voted for christmas films to watch at the brewery here that does screenings and the the democratically chosen pick was either home alone or die hard and home alone won by one vote at the last minute. oh wow so um everyone voted for three films and i think die hard had nine and home alone had 10 and it just just pipped it at the post what did you vote for uh everyone could vote for three so i did die hard gremlins and home alone which are my top three christmas films i think yeah so and and i made a drinking game we did a, a drinking game with six rules i'll give you them now and i'll put it on the blog as well whenever uncle frank is frugal you drink mm, uh whenever yeah. you see buzz is tarantula uh whenever <laughs> someone says merry christmas um Whenever someone speaks French or France is referenced, hmm. uh, Pesci gibberish. Patrick, you want to do some Pesci gibberish? <laughs> yeah. And whenever Kevin screams, that those are the six rules. We stuck to oh, six and it worked quite well. Should have really put when Marv screams as well. Marv <laughs> screams. <laughs> the really high pitched one. Some yeah, of my yeah. favorite things. I uh, think we've got our drink along for next year sorted up, but I will be absolutely shedded. That, Matt, that's a tough, yeah. tough. Well, it's not Jaws. Jaws, I went overboard, obviously, clearly with the Marge one, but this, this one's limited to six and it works quite well. It's when you text us that night and said, just finish it. Just finish it without me. <laughs> the orca is sinking. Yeah. It's going to do a little bit of box office bingo with the team here but also just a, a sense of like understanding the landscape of which home alone was released so in doing the research i mean this would have been easily found and had i watched anything on home alone i'm sure that they would have put this front and center i did not realize that this was the number one domestic gross box office film of 1990 on an 18 million dollar budget it made 285 million. Jiminy Cricket. I know. That is crazy. That's just in 1990. So, you know, and it's 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 on rotation. We talked about Christmas movies in the past. Everyone wants one because they get pulled out every 12 months and get a second, third, fourth, however many lives you want to say. So that's Home Alone. We're just going to do, uh, I'm just going to pick a few from the top 10. But anyone want to have a hazard a guess from 1990 what they would expect to be in the top 10 domestic gross? Domestic gross, so this is just US only, okay? Patrick, you seem to uh, want to debate the numbers. Look at Variety Magazine over here. Yeah. I thought Ghost was the number one. No, negative, but well done. Ghost is number two. I'm not, I was going to Google it, but then I just realized, well, that's going to undercut the point of the fucking quiz, isn't it? I do know that it kept, like, was it... Um... Was it Rocky Five? Yeah, Rocky Five. The, it kept that off the number one spot for weeks. Mm. And... and Rocky opened in more cinemas, and, and it still smashed it. So this opened, what, like December 90 then? It was out in November. It was out on the 16th of November. That's that's smart. And it kept, like, Die Hard 2 off the top spot, and Rocky Five, I think it was. 
Mm. And it just kept going and going and going. It had what, 16 weeks or something. It and it mad. would have just, and it would have just kept scuppering films well into early 91 then. Rocky Five mm. doesn't make it into the top 10. So let's forget about Tommy okay. Gunn and Rocky's, you know, apparent fall shame. into poverty again. Let's, let's talk about other films that we think. So we've got Ghost, Ghost number two. Okay. Uh, well, I was going to say one for, for that I'm fairly confident about is a film that I definitely did go to see at the cinema, and I'm pretty sure it was 1990, which was Back to the Future Part 3. No, no, Back to the Future Part 3 is not in the top 10. Domestic, remember, we're not talking what? about international. Ooh. Oh, uh, 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 even though it was a, um, infamously a bit of a bomb, I still think it would have made some money. Dick Tracy? Dick 90? Tracy, number nine. Oh, yes. Edward Scissorhands. Look that from. That Edward was 91. Edward Scissorhands doesn't get into the top 10 of 1990 domestic. Goodfellas? Drugs, no. no. Oh, shit. Interestingly, no. Hmm. Okay, number three. He, he started off with a mustache. He ended up with a fucking mullet. Come on. What? Dances with Wolves? Yes. Ah. Dances with Wolves is number oh. three. Four. If it wasn't Sandra Bullock as American Sweetheart, it would be this lady. Oh, Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman. Yeah. Number five. Well, if they weren't in the sewers, then likely they wouldn't be Ninja Turtles. Indeed. Okay, this number six was a surprise. And what what about Driving Miss Daisy? Because that was 1919. Absolutely nowhere near the top ten. Fucking hell. Number six. Now this is this is indicative of where we are in 2022. Because this film doesn't make any money if it's released now. Cocoon. No, no. Cocoon. Sorry, I was excited. (laughs) (laughs) So number six is a. It's a. It's a Tom Clancy novel. Clear and present danger. Oh, the negative October. It is the hunt for Red October. Well done, Patrick. Number seven is what the the star of the film described as unter de thriller, unter de comedy, unter de action, (laughs) unter de psychological sci-fi. What is number seven? Total Recall? It is Total Recall. Number eight is a sequel to one of Matt's favorite Christmas movies. Home Alone 2? No. <laughs> it travelled back in time to, to compete with itself. Oh, Gremlins 2. No. If someone, if, if someone does a sequel and tries harder... Oh. Oh, die hard too. I said Die uh, Hard 2. I know, but I didn't hear it amongst all the hullabaloo. Oh. Um, that rhymed, by the way. Uh, and then number 10 is our man from number 7, but he's with the kids. Oh, kindergarten cup. Who is your daddy? What does he do? <laughs> So there we have it. But right, what an eclectic mix. So right, can we all agree that um in a way doing these like domestic gross top tens for the US mm. just kind of shows how yeah. the landscape has moved. It contextualizes, doesn't it? Europe it really Peak does. Arnold. a lot of originals. Yeah. Yeah. Pink Swayze. Yeah. Swayze. He came back after Roadhouse to do it and they weren't sure. So he mm. revived his career. What else do we have there? Critically acclaimed Costner. Julia and, Roberts and just the, emerging. The, the Hunt for the Red October is the one for me where I'm mm. like, God, they, that kind of espionage submarine thriller does not get anywhere near no. the top 10 now. Um, but there you go. What was the budget here? It was like 10 million. They said they could do it for, for 10. And then I think that it was originally at Warner's. And then they said, oh, it's going to be 14.5. And Warner's said, we'll give you 13.5. And then no one budged. 
and then Warner's pulled the plug. But because this, this is all from the Netflix show, by the way, but the, uh, John Hughes had a, a clandestine meeting with Fox. And as soon as the people were told that they were losing their jobs and the movie was shut down, Fox just took over the payroll, like the instant that Warner's dropped out. So they didn't, they didn't drop the ball for a second. Yeah. They didn't miss a beat. And that was John Hughes just covering his bases. So they, they dropped the 14 five for it and, uh, made it. Well, um, just finally on this box office, only because it's fascinating to look at these is again, for inflation we need to just kind of mark it but the numbers as well are interesting so home alone does 285 which is mental for mm. 1990 again for inflation i mean what's that like five i'm looking it up <laughs> yeah oh thank you very much can i get the uh total box office again what are you talking 280 285 for home alone 285 i'll put the five in i'll put the five in <laughs> Fuck me, 650 mil. Wow. So good. Right, now, before we get into the movie, Patrick, last one of 2022. Yeah. Can you remind, I mean, like we need reminding, but can you remind us and the listeners of the plot to Home Alone? In 671 Lincoln Avenue, it appears to be a fancy orphanage as 11 kids are running around and packing their suitcases ready for their Christmas vacation to Paris. For little Kevin McAllister... The house is so full of people it makes him sick, and he vows that when he's older, he'll live alone. Dinner time for the McAllisters tonight is ten pizzas from Little Nero's that Uncle Frank dodges paying as it's his brother's Peter's house, and while Fuller glugs the Pepsi, Kevin looks for the plain cheese pizza. Learning they've all gone, and antagonised by classic John Hughes-style older brother Buzz, Kevin starts... A ruckus, pushing buzz, and knocking over the drinks that spill over the plane tickets. Kevin's being thrown away in the confusion. Oh no, the family are best than pleased, calling Kevin all sorts of names. And Kevin's mum tells him to go to bed on the third floor. It's scary up there, but at least Fuller has to sleep somewhere else as he wets the bed. Following on from Kevin's earlier vow, he now goes a step further and wishes to never see any of his family ever again and that they'd all just disappear. That night, high winds break a tree branch which crashes into the power line and in turns stops the McAllister's alarm clock. They slept in! With only 45 minutes to get their flight, the McAllister's push, rush into the taxis and run to the departure gate just in time while Kevin's mum hopes they haven't forgotten anything. Kevin! Kevin is home alone and now believes he made his family disappear. And as his family come to terms with leaving him behind and figure out how to get him back to America ASAP, Kevin comes to terms with being alone at home, sledding down the stairs, eating junk food, watching films he shouldn't, going shopping, applying aftershave and bouncing on his parents' bed. But Kevin is still young and scared of certain things. The basement and old man Marley who salts the sidewalk. But something scarier is now in the area. The wet bandits! Cat burglars Harry and Marv have scoped the area and are robbing houses one by one and leaving their calling card, flooding the sinks and the houses. But Kevin cannot be a wimp, he's the man of the house. As he faces his fears, his parents' fears grow worse. The phone lines are still down from the high winds and there's no more flights for days but Kevin's mum manages to get a seat on her own to Scranton 
As the wet bandits try to rob Kevin's house, he thwarts them brilliantly, turning on lights, staging a fake party, and using the dialogue from angels with filthy souls to deter the wet bandits. But they continue to stalk Kevin, who overhears them plan to come back again at 9 o'clock Christmas Eve. But Kevin will be ready. Kevin is starting to miss his family and asks a fake Santa for them to come back. He meets old man Marley and befriends him, and even gives advice but then interrupts his highly nutritious microwave of macaroni and cheese dinner with his battle plan, setting booby traps around the house, which are more than effective, causing hilarious consequences for the wet bandits who slip on micro-machines, are covered in feathers, smashed by paint cans and irons as they are led through Kevin's funhouse. But as his battle plans come to an end, can Kevin call the cops in time? Will Kevin's family make it home for Christmas? This is Kevin's house. And he has to protect it. Oh, you've got me ready. Let's let's turn it back on again. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, Patrick, thank you very much. Listen, before we get into the kind of uh, the meat and gravy or the macaroni and cheese of the movie, um, I wanted to contextualise the two main authors of this piece. And one of the one of the points that Matt had raised uh, in our kind of notes was John Hughes and Chris Columbus who's the driving force. And I figured actually that would be a good starting point for the conversation because for, for some listeners, they might be unaware that John Hughes is essentially for many Western audiences has pretty much narrated Christmas, certainly holidays throughout. I mean, felt I feel like my entire holiday experience, my relationship to certainly cinema and Christmas has been woven with Hughes throughout firstly don't don't forget that columbus wrote gremlins and he produced jingle Mm. all the way Mm. oh well jingle all the way (laughs) and directed young sherlock holmes which i consider to be a christmas film and he wrote Mm, that as well didn't he yeah so we've got two people here who um well they like the season and they've also had some major successes but also not just successes financially you know we've talked about the finances of home loan but culturally like this is now in the fabric even though None of us, last time I checked, are American or indeed from Chicago or indeed have wealthy fathers who are probably drug barons (laughs) who have houses like that. But somehow that has kind of bled into the idea of what Christmas is, right? Is it the John Hughes uh, tugging on the heartstrings? I I was sent down Mm. a a John Hughes marathon, actually a John Candy marathon because of this one, like last week when I watched it. And I'd watched Planes, Trains on... uh, December 1st just as a late Thanksgiving thing to sort of ease it in and it's got the same feel to it and Uncle Buck as well and I'm halfway through Great Outdoors today I'm going to finish watching that later but it's the same thing it tugs on the heartstrings and it fits into this kind of feel of Christmas in a a very beautiful way and that's all that's all John Hughes but then the, the the Chris Columbus element is a bit more mischievous and it's sort mm. of, it, it, the gremlins idea we, they called it icky mayhem didn't they gremlins and it sort of blends those those two auteurs in a way sort of blend together here for home alone it's interesting that um with gremlins that we associate that so much with joe dante's vibe and that chris columbus's uh, uh input maybe isn't quite as as well recognized and here you've got mm. you know a Chris Columbus movie coming under the John Hughes umbrella. Right. Because um, those are so, such different. But when Chris Columbus does his own stuff, 
I mean, what have you got, like Bicentennial Man? Oh. <laughs> like, I don't really... <laughs> God, just, just, <laughs> sorry about that shiver. <laughs> it just went down my spine. Would, and, and, then, and then he goes on to kind of kickstart the Harry Potter universe, which, to be honest, was a bit late for me, so I was never really... Mm, the Stone has a big Christmas element in it. Right, okay. I feel like he's overshadowed reckon... by Spielberg a bit, even on Gremlins, mm. and then Spielberg was originally on to do Harry Potter. So he he's right. kind of he's had to get out of the shadow of Spielberg, I think. Yeah, I, I, I'm just looking at his credits. Mrs. Doubtfire probably his biggest hit, but again, no one goes Chris Columbus's Mrs. Doubtfire. But maybe that's a great thing that he can do, which is to sort of get out of the way. What I noticed this time was that um, the film's like incredibly beautifully shot, like it's it's unbelievably lush in the cinematography, which is really surprising for. And, and I think that the films that kind of came in its wake, especially the kind of cheaper cash-ins they didn't put that time and effort into the craft of things. Whereas I do think that that seems to be a bit of a John Hughes hallmark. Mm. Like he is, uh, uh, he is concerned with the craft of the filmmaking, which is kind of fascinating given how fast he generally tended to work. The, the photography was really interesting. Like just while you're on the, just praising it, the, the DOP, uh, Julio Macat, I think I pronounced mm. it incorrectly. He did too as well. <laughs> and he was, uh, the second unit DOP on Tango and Cash. That was his claim to fame. Oh, and, uh, he me. said they hired him because he was cheap. They just wanted someone, oh, someone cheap. And I, I think, what you're saying is one of the things I wrote down. It feels like a Christmas card or a, like yeah. it, the colors and the design, uh, mm. the uh, everything seems to be considered from a Christmas perspective. And from the commentary mm. I listened to today with Chris Columbus, he put in so many Christmas references, mostly the movies that they watch, the, the old, uh, yeah. there's some uh, It's a Wonderful Life in there. Yeah. And there's some ori- original Miracle on 34th. Street. They're watching um uh uh It's a Wonderful Life in in French and right. then there's uh before yeah. the burglars turn up you've got the original Miss the the you're a mean Miracle one Mister Grinch yes yeah which which come which comes back in two as well with the the amazing transition to Tim <laughs> Curry's smile. face yeah. <laughs> yeah but when he wakes up um in this one he's watching Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street in the kitchen when he's like Mom, oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. everyone. Yeah. Um, which is in the, the, the original film, you know, it's all great. But that, that thing, Matt, about the colors, that was a Columbus thing. And that's, I suppose that's going back to the, the conversation about Hughes and Columbus. Columbus, it was very important, the colors and making it Christmassy. And that's why you got a lot. So especially inside the Mechanism has it's red and green is the dominant colors and you get them together and it does feel like that Christmas card. Even like the, the kitchen surfaces mm. are like yeah. a green marble. Right? And they, they said that they had a green, green phone. Like no one has a green phone, but the yeah. Mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. Red curtains. <laughs> a green marble effect. There was a couple of shots that really st- stuck out. One was um, quite quick, which is the, uh, the close up on Catherine O'Hara in the airport when she is discussing taking the van with, uh, John Candy on what should have just been the most like basic flat bullshit setup, you know, shooting in an airport or even a set that's to look like an airport is usually just going to blast a bunch of light in probably from the top or from the side. It's going to look very beige or very white plastic. And they put the most incredible backlight on her hair. And like the, the lighting on her close up is perfect and the eye lights are perfect. You just think this is for, you know, uh, uh, an A to B conversation that they've taken the time to, to make her look like she's glowing off the screen. That's like old Hollywood stuff. Well, I actually had in my notes, Evelyn, there's a lot of vulnerability in, in a lot of how the actors are shot. And there's again to almost mirror that 
is a shot of Kevin just before he goes in the church when they're singing carols and he meets old man Marley. And there's this really like it almost too long an edit shot on Kevin when I think he breaks the fourth wall and looks into the camera and it's, he's got an almost glow about him and it's high end and it shows his vulnerability in it. Uh, high end, excuse me. It's a high angle. Sorry. Um, and it's really striking shot and you're getting into the mind of this and go back to the Christmas theme, despite the film turning into a cartoon at a certain point, this is essentially, this is the John Hughes thing galley that you want to discuss is it's family and forgiveness and coming together at christmas and yeah you know it, it all does the storytelling feels warm the way it's shot feels warm and christmassy it is a comfort film it, as well as an impressive film and then you get the comedy the comedy with the 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 fun house which is they i think they you know they were watching cartoons to get influenced and learn how to edit between yeah bangs I... and crashes and everything which is amazing but um you know that chris columbus brings in the bonus cam which adds to that as well and it's what why not have the, when you say bonus cam is, is this what the dop was talking about where he had this little Ariflex? the bolex thing yeah uh, right, I, I think right, it was yeah. like, it's like that, that small area that they had, that you always see Kubrick using on, yeah, uh, yeah. Clockwork Orange, the one that he operated on that with the big ceramic penis scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- they had it as a backup camera so they could get yeah. all these wacky angles. Like it, the one that springs to mind is the one where it's like a kettle POV. Analyze that, oh, that one. Is film grammar, uh, <laughs> purists. <laughs> Where the, it, the POV of a it's kettle the iron, comes down. Not the kettle. It's, yeah, sorry, it's an yeah, iron yeah. and it smashes, um, Marv in the face and imprints the, uh, <laughs> uh and that. So that they could do things with this tiny camera that they couldn't do with the big 35 mil, um, It's like the but, sled POV down the stairs and things yeah, like that. Yeah. And yeah. then also when Kevin goes across the ice rink, I'll call it, and they get it through the legs of someone. Yeah. <laughs> that was, well, great. that's technically Kevin's point of view. That's a bit better, but I'm not sure an iron has a point of view, but we'll, we'll go with it. Yeah, but it's, it works, right? Well, it's like a cartoon. Like you just said, uh, there's a bit about the DOP and the editor, Raja Gosnell is his name. Mm. And, both, uh, both of whom ended up being directors, right? They I'm did. Sure seen... Which Raja more, more editors should the, um... become directors because that mm. is the key to, to what they filmmakers should do. Scooby Doo movies. Anyway, they, they studied, Looney Tunes cartoons for the timing and the rhythm and uh and you can really see it especially in all the slapstick pratfall stuff later on but it's interesting Gally like if Hughes wrote it like Columbus says he was quite nervous about how to do the action because it's trying to make something different and quite revolutionary at the time these stunts have become known as like the home alone falls you know the over exaggerated jump up and fall from a height on your back is yeah. hard and is like <laughs> loud as possible it is in the purest sense a collaboration where the strengths of both are being amplified by each other so you've got hughes's kind of sickly sweet saccharine christmas themes that he runs through everything but he's always got a dark twist to it and we'll we'll explore that a little bit later we'll pull on that thread Columbus, if you look at his like individual works and even thinking about like his writing, he stretches a premise to its absolute nth. And the pitfalls and hijinks stuff is, I think, where Columbus is really kind of his 
he's bringing it to the party and you put those together and you've got this wonderful tonal i mean it's a fine line to straddle but the movie manages to just about get it get across it um i know for reviewers at the time it might not have been a might not have been the case but you know history has proven us to be right on this one where they Mm. managed to straddle it and interestingly a movie that is also beloved more recent where i feel like they they tip over a little bit is elf where i think the tonal balance is just a little bit off and then they pull it back where there's too much will ferrell uh crocodile dundee uh fish out of water stuff and eventually they pull they no, you might do. but there's too much of that and then they pull it back into the kind of the the bigger broad christmas saccharine but if you had too much huge saccharine sweetness you would be ill and if you had too much hijinks it would be it would be like the mask or something where you'd be like oh, it's a bit ott um they just managed to straddle the line and they and they and the film itself if you look at the timings it's sort of like what two thirds sweet Hallmark movie and then a third, but it's sprinkled throughout. I I don't know whether I would agree that I think that John Hughes's uh, uh, stuff is sickly sweet or sentimental. I think what he does is a quite an unvarnished type of. Um, he he nails down the kind of like the jocular but um, genuine kind of. Um, disagreements that families have a lot of his stuff has like this sort of sublimated like the the way that kevin tells his mum that she's a dummy and that he wishes he'll never see her again and that's like barely 10 minutes into the film that's like uh that's that's quite harsh um uncle buck has is is all about you know the uh the mother and daughter you know the mother and daughter it was so chilly against uh, um some uh it's can I qualify then, Devlin? Because I know you are right. Okay, I'm on about the presentation of it then. I'm on about like that initial layer. Okay. So yeah. that's what I'm on about when I talk about Sweet Sickly, is that the themes themselves, the resolutions for them, will will end up being kind of Christmas card light. You know, it's yeah. a wonderful life. But it's, and that's why I said we'll pull on the thread of the sort of twisted, dark nature that, hides beneath it which is what i think resonates with people is the universal you know families disagree and this film presents families disagreeing throughout the whole film the the fact that he wishes his family didn't exist comes from displaying them in a way where you you know you see that he is troublesome as well like his you know um matt i I know we always talk about what's the character doing when you first meet them Mm. and what he's doing is irritating his parents when they're trying to do something but you as a as an audience you know you're especially when we watched it at our age you're identifying with the kid because you're always fucking bored when you're a kid it's piled on like uh that all he you know he's been told to pack his own suitcase and uh and he can't he, do he gets that. called a he gets called a disease <clears throat> and incompetent <laughs> i was gonna say it's a bit like the simpsons it plays on these two levels it plays for the kids for the kids, as Max says in the supermarket, and uh, uh, and also all the Uncle Frank stuff. Well, I, you have to call him Mac now, apparently, because ever since he dated uh, Mila Kunis, he's Mac. But uh, uh, it has a way of hooking adults in with the darker, subtler humor, like the uh, Uncle Frank stuff, the guy eating the donut, at the uh, the child protection thing. 
Larry Hankin, I think he's called. That's amazing. They said they had a nightmare cutting it because he was, he was an improv expert, Larry Hankin, and he would just go off on one, but they could only cut in the shots that had the piece of donut on the phone <laughs> or the, the continuity would be gone. So, um, but I plays. Too. <laughs> Has he been involved in a household accident? <laughs> Has he ingested any any poison or anything? Uh, like when we watched it here last week, I was amazed how many of my friends went mad for the uh, pratfalls and hijinks oh, yeah. and all, all that stuff. I mean, most of them are in their twenties here, but some of them are in their thirties and slightly above. So the, these ordinary, sensible adults were cracking up at a tarantula on someone's face and a, cr- a crowbar to the ribs. But I, it's I, all I was hilarious, right? It's, it, it, it's it is, but th- does hilarious. it not? Do you not? Does it play slightly differently for you? Like I, I'm not that that bothered about the practice, and, and that's that's the point you're saying. It, it, yeah. There's a high concept feel to the film. There's a high concept feel to planes, trains, and automobiles, and Jingle All the Way, and Gremlins, all these films that come from Columbus, and all the films that come from John Hughes. But what cu- cuts through it, through the core of it all, is uh domestic um issues and and family values and forgiveness and growing up and or, or you know a- allowing people to to be the people they can be and to have this i don't know like this high concept cartoon nature of it with these um dr seuss like bad guys and everything it, it's really entertaining but it why not have something so bizarre those two things it, married you think that's, yeah, that's, no, that's like, the quality of it and the galley said the fine line that they tread and they do it it works it's it's a fusion somehow and it does work but like columbus does this um how do i call it these chaos films you know like jingle away has chaos throughout the whole thing and gremlins has chaos throughout the whole thing but you cut back to what's important and at the right times and you tell the right story and like at the end of this the parents don't even know these robbers have come in so for yeah. them and for that storyline they, they talked is, about it on the commentary uh, they, they said does does kevin tell his family between one and two does he actually tell them what went on or does anyone inform does them? old man but, marley say or is it a se- unspoken secret between yeah. the two of them but like the the john candy thing hooked me a bit there's there's a bit where john candy's talking about leaving his kid in a funeral home with a corpse <laughs> That's the stuff that really got me this time. And also, like, in terms of the darkness, uh, as silly as it gets, it's still two potentially violent grown men pursuing a little <laughs> yeah. boy to smash his face with an iron and, and bite his fingers off. Yeah. Um, and they may have killed him if they got a chance. You know, they say, I'm going to kill that kid. They probably wouldn't. Is that why you make it more cartoony, though, to, to make that more accessible? Could be. In all the films that we've done, we probably don't put enough emphasis on casting. And how important it is to get the casting right. The casting in this, in rewatching it, is just inspired. It, you know, there's not, we're not just Joe Pesci being a bad guy two months after he was actually a psychopath <laughs> who was out of control, who was a constant threat in Goodfellas where you literally have no idea what he's about to do. And then he's in this movie. I, I focused in on Catherine O'Hara. Because as you said there, Patrick, the Roger Ebert version of this is us hating on the mother for leaving a child at home. But she mm. manages, she manages through her performance to allow us to feel safe in that premise. Which is also, she's really helped structurally, which is that she pops back up whenever she's needed, whenever anything gets too real or too scary for Kevin. 
you always get the when it when it's not fun and games and hijinks you cut away to her and every time you see her she's giving away more of herself like she completely just and when she's in the airport and she's like i'm desperate and she's giving away literally everything she has because you know because they do live in the the biggest house in america (laughs) with all the with all the beautiful glory you know it could be difficult to to it could be difficult to empathize with extraordinarily wealthy people who leave their kids at home despite the house being massive and obviously uh uh kind of a fairy tale massive house the uh the fake rolex little bit just a little stuff like that that just shows that they're like they're still the sort of like aspirational middle class as opposed to full-on aristocrats you know the uh is that a real rolex so we have the 500 dollars, the pocket translator the two first class seats that's an upgrade from your coach is that a real rolex do you think it is no but who can tell i also have a, a ring oh that is beautiful Come on, Irene, they're boarding. Oh, this gal has offered us two first-class tickets if we go Friday. Plus a ring, a watch, a, a pocket translator, $500, and the earrings. You love the earrings. She's got her own earrings, a whole shoebox full of dangly ones. Come on, come on. No, but... I'm desperate. I'm begging you, from a mother to a mother, please. Oh, Ed, Please. Oh, all right. I think there's a bit of genius writing, though, in, in the John Candy thing Matt said that is to give her a bit more space and time to play off of somebody and to really drive home the, the sympathy, the, the empathy. And it, it helps at that time as well because she has, you know, like desk clerks and everything. It's not, she's got nothing to really to latch on to, but yeah. having that connection really works for her in the, um, the Polka van. Well, you mentioned who, who the auteur might be and all signs point to Hughes because he's one of these guys. They said, I think it was Daniel Stern said that the script was like a Bible. They didn't, yeah. it's like working with the Coen brothers or something. You just don't come away from it. But when it came to John Candy, they freed up that entire thing for him to just go off and do whatever he wanted to do because they had and a history. He did it as together. a favor, didn't he? He, he, he shot everything in 23 hours. He wasn't supposed to, but he did it for scale. So the trivia was that the pizza boy made more money on Home Alone than John Candy did. <laughs> okay. um, so yeah, but he, and then uh, Columbus just had to let him, let him go. And I don't think the polka thing, polka thing was even written. That was something that happened. So the van came later and all that, but seeing her and him together is great. She's got a psychotic quality to her. The, um, she plays, um, a character called Bam Bam in Curb Your Enthusiasm. I don't know if you've seen that, but she's amazing in that. And they said that the casting director saw her in Beetlejuice and just fell in love with her. And that's why she, she was put forth for this. It's Catherine O'Hara. And she's worked with, um, yeah, she's done all that stuff with Christopher Guest. Yeah. She worked with Candy before though as well. And it was a good match for them. Mm -hmm. Apparently, you know, they just get on like a house on fire. Yeah. The casting, you're not wrong, Gally. And I'm glad they got Daniel Stern as well. Yes, he's a good foil for Pesci. Um, because Brilliant. It, it, for me, so when I was doing the research, De Niro was offered the role of Harry. Um, which <laughs> a little bit, would a little have, bit. I think he's probably, um, you could see it now, <laughs> but maybe he wasn't quite like, cause I think of De Niro now as being able to absolutely yeah, slide into comedic roles. Do you think of Pesci as being able to do this at that time? God almighty, this is such a, a turn. Oh, Lovitz was put forth. I thought I could definitely see Lovitz doing it. Yeah. 
It's t- almost too obvious, isn't it? Yeah, but if Lovitz does it, yeah, it is. It's too obvious. Mm. And I, I actually also think that maybe Lovitz would be slightly unbearable. Tartlets. Uh, you believe yeah. he'd bite <laughs> fingers off. You believe Pesci would bite kid's fingers. Yeah. yeah. D- you know, despite this being a safe movie where home invasion can be for laughs, um, Pesci still has the threat. And at the beginning of the movie, when he's the copper and he gives the grin, <laughs> that is a, you know, I, as a child, yeah. I was like on edge. And mm. as an adult, because I know his intentions, obviously I know as well that the movie is going to make him look like a bit of a fool by the end of it. But it's still there, the threat and the smile. Pesci's got that. And then yeah. obviously we then realize that Pesci's also an incredible comedic actor because, you know, my cousin Vinny, he's fucking hysterical yeah. in that. And Lethal Weapon is quite funny. Lethal mm-hmm. Weapon, he's, I mean, Lethal Weapon 4, he's on bar- He's like, yeah. literally, there's too much, too much of everything in that movie. Two and three will have him, but. <laughs> two and yeah, three yeah. will have him. But, and for him, when I was reading about it, like him and Daniel Stern, they thought the film was going to be a bit of a, a bit of a Turkey. note. Like, no, yeah, no well, one's really going to see this. It's a bit of a paycheck. Mm-hmm. They were playing golf in the morning, turning up. <laughs> Did you see he refused the 7 a.m. call time because he wanted to play <laughs> golf? So he changed it to nine for him. <laughs> But they, they both said, well, why don't we just go big? Go big mm. or go home. But all of Pashi's like fake swearing is inspired. <laughs> Tasmanian yeah. devil. It sounds oh, like, it's yeah. just so good. I thought it was Three Stooges and it, that, mm. and it plays like Three Stooges. You say we're talking Looney Tunes, oh, but yeah. I, I got a lot of Three Stooges between the two of them as well. And obviously Harry being like the what? The brains and Marv's being the young. <laughs> Yeah, you, you need you need guy. two you need two idiots, and one idiot is convinced they're smarter than the other idiot. It's, yeah. uh, well, that's Laurel and Hardy, isn't it? It's the same same stuff. What one of my favourite parts of the whole film? We mentioned it just before uh, Matt's audience in South Korea. The tarantula on Marv's face and the scream. Yeah. It for oh, me yeah. will never not be funny. It's the funniest thing hearing that and the crack of the ribs and then them fighting amongst themselves. It's just really great. But however, the funniest thing ever in any film ever, ever made is Marv getting electrocuted in Home Alone 2. <laughs> and turning into a skeleton. Oh, God. I lose my shit every time. It's the funniest thing ever. Yeah, yeah. it is. Ma- Marv's, Marv's big scream oh, in both man, films. It's amazing. I think my, mm-hmm. my favourite bit of, uh, of anything that he ever does is... Um, Suck brick, kid. <laughs> Again, in part two, isn't it? But yeah, Throwing oh. a house brick at a they, child. They said that... <laughs> He's downstairs. He goes, never. <laughs> one of the more painful ones, I think maybe I should save it for Patrick's feature, uh, but uh, there's, there's one where he stamps down on some uh, uh, Christmas ornaments. Oh my uh, God. It's yeah. so good. That's the one that gets me because you really feel that one. But when you see the second cut of the ornament that pops under his foot, oh my God. But I've never stood on a nail, but I've stood on some Lego or something, so I can imagine yeah. what it's, and it, the way the glass breaks is just really yeah. gets me. And then, then the next scene, he goes in the room, he's like, why the hell are you dressed like a chicken? Because why the hell are you got your shoes off? It's a great little. Oh, that, that was interesting. That was on the commentary because the bit where he gets hit with the feathers and he's got like, uh, what's, is it glue that he's got? Yeah, yes, glue yeah. Step yeah. on the glue film. So oh. that, that would have been the most gentle of, of all of the booby traps. <laughs> and for the people who were saying that it was too violent, if you can just picture what the film would have been if they'd all been as gentle as the chicken, uh-huh. it would have just been lame. It would have fallen flat. It needed that 
Looney Tunes, uh, yeah. violent, uh, and an iron to the face that leaves the imprint of an iron is yeah. inherently such a kind of wily uh, roadrunner, isn't it? Yeah, totally. yeah, but it's it's like really funny, and the editing and the timing is all quite masterful. I think performance, though, as well, you know, not just physicality, but just line delivery. So you're talking about oh, like yeah. these laugh out belly laughs that come in through the pitfalls. I laugh every time he comes back uh, and walks into the van and just goes, snakes. I don't know no snakes. It sounded like a snake. Yeah. <laughs> like that kind of stuff where you go, well, this is why, this is, this is why you can just elevate from the page and it can all of a sudden be something that is so quotable. Mm. And out of context, we can find it funny because we know what we're referencing and the film is littered with it and the other thing that it's littered with is is these like heartfelt tugging moments that it's a bit like a horror film when you do the kills it feels that like the rhythm of the film is spot on so when i want to mm. feel like threat this threat when mm. when there needs to be like heartfelt when we need kevin to be the smartest kid in the world he's the smartest kid in the world when we need him to be kind of out of his element when he's going shopping trying to buy a toothbrush he's still being a smart alec but he doesn't know he's not quite mm. smart enough to navigate that space yeah and people are suspicious so it just manages to find the rhythm well he needs a fallibility you can't just believe he's this super kid who's gonna who's gonna defeat them you have to have some element of danger there that you, you well, believe it could go kids, the other way and that's why i was never into spy kids because yeah. they were too competent it's a it's an implausible scenario and premise that just straddles the line the old man marley is the other key because again he's bringing us back to that christmas theme every time we're we're about to go off the rails with the hijinks and the the kind of the fantasy he brings it back mm. with because we've all had well maybe not the neighbor that you think's a murderer who um <laughs> chops bodies up and, and salts them yeah. <laughs> i mean I, I think he's just doing good community work yeah but that that section comes at the right time does it he goes to, goes to visit santa mm-hmm. and you know you said smart kids in the world i know you're not the real santa but i know you i'm old enough to know you work for him and that mm, that interaction yeah. is really nice and he wants his family back then straight to the old man marley and i just love how he this is when we uh what am I calling him? Mac. Mac is, um, I thought he was talking. He, this is where he is beyond his years in performance and sat there with, um, Robert's Blossom and giving this old man advice about how to rekindle yeah. his relationship with his son. And it's mm. a really beautiful scene. And again, that's very Christmassy. And that's John Hughes's writing and so well shot from Columbus and everyone. And it's like, it's one of the standout scenes and it's nothing to do with the, the, um, the selling points, the, the comedy, the, the action, the, the, and all of that. And Patrick, going back to initially, we talked about the cinematography and the look and the feel. The other thing that I forgot to mention with those Hallmark movies is they're clearly always made in the summer and they look like they're made in the fucking <laughs> mm. summer and the snow looks like Phony snow, snow. It's been sprayed yeah. on the, on the, yeah. this film, everyone looks cold and, and it shouldn't yeah. matter, yeah. but everyone looks really cold. Like it is yeah. winter and that kind of thing just, yeah, for me, it's those little <laughs> extra bits of effort that just, yeah. that just make the movie then come alive. The, um, the, the church scene was the other that I was going to flag up as being like an incredible lighting setup. Oh, yes, yeah, <clears throat> The fact that they split the church in two where you have all the, the, the smoke and the atmosphere and the lights kind of beaming in, you know, the extremely 
unsubtle heavenly lighting whereas the front the foreground where the choir is is um is much kind of richer it's got that kind of chiaroscuro like really uh uh deep rich blacks in it um there was a little bit in that scene that i'd never even noticed before on chiaro picked it up yesterday when um uh robert's boss was saying that he's not he's not um coming back to see his daughter sing tonight and mccoy mm. culkin's response is why do you have plans <laughs> it's like that's such a, a wonderful his delivery on it is so deadpan as well it's like that's such a, a wonderful little throwaway gag that yeah. they've smuggled in and i've been watching that film for what three decades now and i've never noticed it i just thought that was very cool i've been kind of a pain lately i said some things i shouldn't have i really haven't been too good this year yeah i'm kind of upset about it because i really like my family even though sometimes I say I don't. Sometimes I even think I don't. Do you get that? I think so. How you feel about your family is a complicated thing. Especially with an older brother. Deep down, you always love them. But you can forget that you love them. And you can hurt them and they can hurt you. And that's not just because you're young. You want to know the real reason why I'm here right now? Sure came to hear my granddaughter sing. And I can't come and hear her tonight. You have plans? No. I'm not welcome. At church? Oh, you're always welcome to church. I'm not welcome with my son. Shall we talk about Big Mac? Um, <laughs> Matt, you, you again in oh, your Matt. notes put um, child star conundrum. Yeah. And it is mm. one of those, isn't it, where I do, I do wonder if you're set in amber when you're in such a colossal hit and you're a child performer. I mean, I, I've, did you, you guys ever see um, the movie? I can't remember what the title is, but I have seen it because I was a Macaulay Culkin fan as soon as this oh, came the good out. Son. It was like, the good son. Yeah. Where he's, where he's a murderer. <laughs> it was like, have Whoa, you seen that Patrick? Fuck? I've not, no. Oh, it's him and Elijah Wood. And uh, he's an adopted child. Uh, into the into Elijah Wood's family, and it turns out to be this murderous little. It's devil. the hand that rocks the cradle I, with a kid. I was kid. too busy it's, watching it, it, Richie Rich. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good too, but you know, not as not as good as the Good Son. It made me think about like, you know, I don't know a great deal. Of, uh, well, I do because it was it was very well documented through the nineties about um, some of his troubles with his parents. But you know, you get the sense that any time you're a child performer and you become that big, that all lives actual complicated woes will come to the fore like one you push into stardom and you've you've not got any experience of life to be able to deal with it but two you got loads of people including your parents who are going to try and feed off your success and that's got to be tough that was his pr- that was he, it wasn't it was the, pr- the parents them. that kind of yeah, yeah they really yeah. drove him mad almost it's the Lindsay Lohan stuff or you know it's the same stuff mm. but um it's it all comes from uncle buck doesn't it it go it stems back to that like he's so great i think he's actually arguably more naturalistic in uncle buck but the but the overall perform- I mean, he's the star of Home Alone. When he, when so he IDs the, um, what's his name? <laughs> so good. Oh, that, the back and forth with John Candy. Is that what you mean? Yeah, Where yeah, they're doing yeah. like know, an when, interrogation when of one his, of them? Um, when he IDs his love interest at the door through the letterbox in Uncle. Oh yeah. Take it out oh, of the, he, take it out of the, uh, the case. Yeah. Um, he, he was so good in that and he could do anything that was asked of him. 
uh, there's like some bits that kind of mirror it. There's a bit where him and John Candy are doing like a back and forth interrogation thing in Uncle Buck. Uh, I'm a kid. That's my job. You know, all that stuff. Yeah. But there's another one here where he's talking to the cashier in the supermarket yeah, yeah. and it feels like the same kind of thing, but it's not quite as good, but it ends with that, you know, cause you're a stranger, you know, mm. the, that there's a nice back and forth there, but it doesn't quite have the, um, momentum of some of the, the uncle buck stuff, but I do agree, Gal, he, he carries this and. Who else could do it? Who could do it at eight years old? Well, exactly. I was just thinking, how many films have you ever seen that have an actual child as a lead that you could yeah. possibly bear to watch now as yeah. an adult? And what does it, when it goes to the shop, he says, is this toothbrush approved by <laughs> I don't find him ever annoying. I don't, and I don't know whether that's, you know, and it's just a, like a, a natural charm. In, in two, Ebert has a big problem with him talking to the bird lady and, and lecturing her on, uh, on what life means. And this poor woman, like probably, you know, home, homeless in a park who can't love anyone anymore and her heart's broken. And this little kid's telling her what's what. And it's the same thing here with, with old man Marley. And in, in a way, he starts lecturing him in the church about what he should and shouldn't be doing with his really serious family problems. I agree with you because in the second one, you know, the old woman is homeless. She looks like Piers Morgan. She's, <laughs> she's hanging around with pigeons. That's a tough sell. The first one though, with old man Marley, mm. That is literally like from a child's perspective, why can't you just speak to your son? Yeah. The, the problem could be that when you make a sequel, you need to hit the same beats and she is yeah. the old man Marley of the second movie. She's carbon copied in. So that's probably why it's a bit egregious in, in the second one. But um, if you watch some of the blue, the behind the scenes stuff and the Blu-ray stuff, it's all on, on the playlist that we'll put in on the site. But uh, you can see how they got the performance from, from Colkin. Uh, there's a lot of mimicry. They're saying things mm. off camera and he's repeating them. And at times I'm not sure he fully understands what he's saying half the time. Right. Um, you can tell that he's been directed in these little bite sized line readings and they, they give him a few takes without cutting and they just keep rolling until he gets it. And the outtakes and bloopers are really funny, but they're also revealing as far as how that, how, how to direct a child actor. But it makes complete sense that Chris Columbus would be given um, the first two potters when you're dealing with. Child actors who have never been on film before. There's they they what they don't have here, and that you do see in almost all other uh, films with a kid either in a prominent role or in the lead, is that you don't see that very synthetic stage school type of acting. The the precision acting, mm-hmm. like that that comes off that's really creepy because it has you know it's got that well, dead eyed automaton Watson thing. Emma in Philosopher's Stone. It, Exactly. Mm, yeah. It's very, you know, it's, it's overpronounced. Who was more Culkin-esque, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, that's that's what you mean. You need the patience, and you need to be able to. It's a big risk to like, you know, gamble tens of millions on a thing where you're expecting a, a, an eight-year-old kid to. You you genuinely don't know what you're going to get. That kid could turn up and just freeze. Do you think like, you get completely. to a point where you just have to accept it as well? You cast the person. And you... Well, he was the first person cast, wasn't he? I mean, he's like, yeah. Oh, it's, it's the most the important one. one, isn't it? Yeah. You would say it's the most important casting is to get the kid right, and then you yeah. build around. But that's why I say, like, for the for the the side players, so important because thematically they're the ones that are going to be hitting those those beats mm. to give you the variety otherwise you do have you know we've just talked about it being layered you know for adults and for kids yeah. the danger is if you don't have those side players doing good work that it becomes a great kids movie yeah. but not a fantastic family movie is anyone rushing out to rewatch blank check 
Oh, what a shame. I loved Blank Check. Imagine. I, a million, I know, right? A million dollars. I mean, <laughs> oh, incredible. Oh, well, or, you know what? Or Richie Rich, which is also a bit of a like, you know, great kids movie, but not the best family movie. He's a bit more, you know. He's annoying he's, in that. He's, he is annoying yes. in Cadbury. Yeah. He's, uh, he feels like a little adult at times. And for me, like I, I wrote down the true meaning of my heading was the true meaning of Christmas or what is it really? The true meaning of Home Alone. And it was this idea that it's a film where all the adults are stupid for the most part and, and childish and they make enormous mistakes and they're immoral at times and, uh, thieves and they're violent. But although the kids are little smart Alex, they're, they're the intelligent ones and they're the articulate ones and they're resourceful and funny. And it's a film that celebrates children. Uh, although admittedly they, they can be creative little monsters. Um, you know, Marv says things like he's a kid, kids are stupid. Um, uh, it, it's a, a comment on how kids aren't stupid. Kids are really intelligent and teaching in Korea. I'm aware of, uh, I'm, and I'm in awe of these kids a lot of the time because they work much harder than I ever did. And they're much smarter than, than I was at that age. And I think home alone, you sort of cling to it a bit because when you see it very young, it's not a film that panders to it, to you really, but it, it appeals to the kid in you because you, you see that you're, you're actually been treated uh, with respect by the filmmakers and showing a kid who's eight years old outsmarting everyone is a, is a really cool thing to see as an eight year old lad. It's uh, I'd never seen anything quite like it. And the fantasy element as well, Matt of, you know, we've all had it as children and um, I'm not suggesting that it comes full circle, but there are times when if I have the house to myself, it can feel like a dream. Plan. You jump on well, the bed yeah, and but... shout, I'm living alone. I'm living alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Freedom at times when you have the house to yourself to do uh, nothing like, or watch shit films and eat lots of ice cream. Yeah. So as children, yep. that is something that appeals to me. Maybe it's a, ma- maybe it's a male thing though, mm. but it also appeals to me now in yeah, adulthood. It, it's, it's a cool concept, isn't it? Like for mm. a kid. That fancy world, but, and you know, it shows the repercussions and the downside of it as well, which is responsible filmmaking. Also. Well, it, it reminded me but, of Labyrinth like that because in Labyrinth, yeah, she wishes right. that she didn't have her, her brother and yeah. he's a pain and she has to take care of him. The Goblin King takes him away. She immediately regrets it. And then the entire thing is a quest to get him back. And here he wishes he, he had no family and he mm. could live alone. And that's his fantasy. And then when it actually comes true in that kind of Sam Raimi, weird fisheye sequence where everything sort of the the electricity goes and they all disappear his quest becomes to you know take care of himself become a man even in the eyes Mm -hmm. of buzz that i really like he impresses buzz at the end and that's a cool moment between (laughs) and then he gets uh his quest is to to get them back and that's just his wish to be with his with his mum and with his family again and it's it's great I do like the manipulation as well, just on, on children being smarter than adults as well. When he says, you better hurry up. I'm calling the cubs. It's calling the cubs from a tree house. <laughs> 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 oh, but it's little moments as well. Like the fact that he doesn't know how to double bag the shopping. So it, yeah. just little things yeah. where, uh, less, less kind of thought and you, yeah. you just, you just throw away why have it. Well, that happened to me in Round Hay. I was 25 and I dropped my shopping everywhere. Yeah. Being scared of the basement as well. You know, like <laughs> he says, like, it's all of my imagination. It's all of my, and it's, it's 
really in the psyche. A note on the fantasy element, there was originally, you know, when he's watching Angels with Filthy Souls, is that what it's called? When he, he's supposed to fall asleep there and there was going to be a big CG sequence, uh, probably akin to what he did in Young Sherlock Holmes, um, where like uh, nutcrackers and toy soldiers were going to come alive. And then there was going to be a CGI um, furnace uh, and it was going to oh, chase Fantasia him. come to oh, life. Now, yeah. Right? And uh, they cut it for budgetary reasons, but that was something that Columbus wanted to do. And that, that just adds to this layer of, of fantasy. I like the realism of the furniture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, I yeah. Like, um, but because uh, th- that scene is where he transitions from, you know, he's eating junk food, which is like, you get that sort of late male adolescence, like the first, <laughs> yeah. like when we went to live in the slug house, where it's like, <laughs> yeah. this is for <laughs> <we were> adulthood <laughs> is like, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna eat ice cream and watch six films a day and then eventually you realize i probably should learn how to do the laundry but <laughs> um when he just you know he gets scared by the film because he's a little kid and at the start they say I, I you know uncle frank won't let me watch the film and then he watches it for himself and yeah. he gets scared and he screams mom and that's the trigger for it's Catherine O'Hara to to remember that um she's left him behind like yeah just, it, that's right structurally you know they were they were helping mm. everyone out. Yeah. A, it, it's not a it's not it's not slapped together in terms no, of pacing. Not, no, no, it's really it's well, smarter than um, it's smarter than you would think when you start dissecting it, and that's the reason why it's endured. It's not just because it's like what a great premise. It's like no, they they're doing the work behind the scenes to make sure that the premise is wrung out to its maximum um, for maximum effect. And can I just say, like, so the music is wonderful. And, every, you know, so Patrick, I laugh every time the Tarantula goes on Marv's face too. And also when he's about to hit Harry and it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but can I just say that, um, and I'll cry again, because I cry every fucking time. Every time <laughs> the music swells up, Kevin opens, uh, pulls the curtain, sees old man Marley hugging his son yeah. with his grandchild. And he just puts the hand up, the injured hand. Yeah. Oh my god! Well, I, I held it together through the the, the mother son reunion. I held it together, and then but but it was old man Marley with his reunited with his granddaughter. That that got me single tear roll. Yeah, well, so you've got the 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 brown note. It's the tear note that gets. It's like <laughs> it's just like a flood of tears mm. every time. I always have to hold it back now because I've seen it so many times with Danielle. And she'll just look at me like, what are you doing? No, <laughs> I'm crying again. I've got, I'm got me. I've got me. It, there's like a pinpoint accuracy to it because I'm always amazed like the way it happens at this exact same time to me. The same thing happens with Karate Kid when, uh, after he does the crane kick and there's an exact moment when him and Miyagi connect and I, I cry a single, it's like, you know, it's magic every time on the exact beat. I don't feel manipulated. No. You know, like sometimes it's easy to feel it's an easy manipulation. This all feels, mm. it doesn't feel like that to me. Yeah, it's not quite war, yeah, you because know, I love Warhorse, but Warhorse is like a, literally a mi- manipulation machine. Marley and um, me. Yeah. Is, is Johnny Williams the goat? Is he the, gr- he looks like a goat now, but is he the greatest of all time? <laughs> I mean, the fact that this was, uh, um, a pretty, a pretty quick job for him as far as anyone can, can say. And not only is it, like one recognizable theme like with everything he has 
what maybe three or four little did he invent the christmas which, like, theme is that his music as well which, which is that uh, no that's actually uh that's adapted from marla's fourth symphony and i know very this good I've only, very I've good i've only ever been to one prom at the royal albert hall in my entire life and it was marla and they started doing it and i was like fuck off it's home alone <laughs> <laughs> well home alone or every other call. christmas movie when columbus puts it yeah. in jingle all the way you're like oh that's egregious Arnie's yeah, trying to yeah. chase that ball down from the. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that but that's uh, uh, but there's somewhere in my memory that's him. He wrote that. He wrote the song as well. He didn't write the lyrics, but he he adapted it to being a a, a lyric piece and like, you know, just the the transition between the sort of the light little dainty kind of uh, uh, moments and then the bigger ski uh, the 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 running home to save the house bit with the drums and the little um a little bell a little bell ding every time one of the timer lights goes on on his way to the house like fuck what's your favorite scene yeah i've just got moments like i love the way it's all set up quite cleverly with the milk and the pepsi and the 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 passports because i appreciate that grounding i think you someone mentioned it earlier that as well as O'Hara, as as the mum, you've you've got to get all that stuff right too. Otherwise, it's just not believable from a a premise point of view. Uh, so I appreciate all that hard work. Um, uh, the rocking around the Christmas tree scene, because I think that's they said that because it was in Chicago as well. Like when Michael Jordan showed up, all the all the theaters went crazy. Um, you know, he's got the stand that the Michael Jordan on the stand that goes around. Um, and they said, uh, I, I like that one because you have to believe that Kevin is capable of setting all those booby traps later. So that's the scene that slowly sort of persuades us that he's some kind of child genius. And it also resulted in a massive sing-along when we screened it last week. Um, I didn't realize Rocking Around the Christmas Tree was so popular, but it was, yeah, people really, really liked it. But yeah, mine are just moments. Uh, Patrick, have you, have you got one? It's, um, it's when Marv goes to investigate and he plays Angel with Filthy Souls and he puts mm-hmm. his shoe through the door. He's like, shh. <laughs> 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 he, he, he does the firecrack. I always thought the firecrackers were like really cool when I was a kid and I really wanted them. But the way he scares them and he runs off and he, they're like, snakes, snakes. I, I don't know no snakes. Mm-hmm. All of that is. All I know is he just got blown away. That, that scene doesn't work. <laughs> if, if, <laughs> um, it's just great. It's great. And if you put anyone else except for Daniel Stern there, you might be struggling, but he does a yeah. really great job. But it was him and Pesci's, like, uh, the, the rapport they have is palpable and really important, again, for getting away with it. What happened? I don't know who's in there, but somebody just got blown away. Huh? Somebody beat us to the job. They're in there. Two of them. There was arguing... One of them blew the other one away. Who? I don't know. I thought I recognized one of their voices. And I know I heard that name Snakes before. Snakes? Snakes, snakes. I don't know no snakes. Snakes. Let's get out of here. Hold it, hold it. Let's wait and see who it is. We work this neighborhood too. Yeah. Supposing the cops finger us for a job. And they start asking us questions about a murder in the area. Wouldn't it be nice to have a face to go with their questions? That's a good idea. Of course it's a good idea. Snakes. He sounded like a snake. Favorite bit from the the, the, the fun house, the house of horrors, I don't know, um, 
I, I'm quite partial to the nail just because it's so meaty the way the foot goes. <laughs> and the tar as well. The stickiness of the tar and then. Well, it's the, again. it's the cleverness to get the socks off and see the socks again. Yeah. The yeah. joke, the gag yeah. works because you see the mm. thinking behind tarring socks for mm-hmm. nail because it would hurt even with the socks but it hurts more without yeah, the socks. This, again like uh um daniel stern knows exactly which scream to deploy at any given moment so this one is just a it's the same tone just a solid locked in tone <laughs> and then he lo- and he just freezes in one position and then just heaters backwards oh, yeah pop quiz assholes thank you speed just a reminder of the scores matt you're on three galleys on one and devlin is ahead on four. Mm, okay. So let's see who's going to see out the new year as the leader. Matt, you, you, you can draw a level. What's the buzzers, please? 11, 92, 12. <laughs> okay. That's mine. <laughs> All right, Buzz. That's your literal buzzer from Buzz there from yeah. Matt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, I'll go with uh, put them in your purse. Put them in your purse. Uncle Frank in Devlin. Gally. Traveler's checks. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Frank proving quite uh, popular amongst the buzzers today. All right, question one. Uh, what is the McAllister's door number? Put him in your purse. Oh, Devlin. Is it 671? It is 671. Oh, well done. Well done. Bloody hell, well done. Question two. What is the pizza delivery company name? 11, 92, 12. <laughs> Matthew. It's Little Nero's. It is. Well done. And question three. Uh, what's the name of John Candy's polka band? Oh, silence. 11, oh. 92, 12. <laughs> Go for it, Matt. The Kenosha Kickers. Yeah, it is. Well oh, done. Oh, well done. <laughs> yeah. He's brought it back. He's drawn level. I'm big in Sheboygan. <laughs> 600 and, and i have a bonus question for galley because galley's so oh. far behind oh yeah this is to help you come back spell macaulay <laughs> travelers checks okay uh m a c a go on you yeah go on oh, is it an e or an l <laughs> I'll just go with L-E-Y. Yay! Oh, I'm sorry, that's incorrect. It's what? incorrect. It's L-A-Y. Macaulay. Oh. No, did you not? I said A. My... Did you? Yes, I've got a lisp. My E's sound like A's. <laughs> <laughs> nice cover. I have a bone disorder. <laughs> I can't pronounce the P in planetarium. <laughs> Planet. Area. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, Matt, I'm going to go and visit Santa. I have three Tic Tacs in my pocket. However, <laughs> however, I need to go to the shop, pick up a toothbrush, maybe some laundry stuff. Um, on the way, I see Critics Corner. What are they saying on uh, on Home Alone? Um, a, a preteen Ferris Bueller's day off. Uh, and the formula is wearing thin. Uh, uh, Gene Siskel called it a dopey new comedy. Um, he said, uh, more trouble for kids. He couldn't resist his shit kids in peril patter that he does every time. Uh, he said, this is the first time Pesci has ever given a bad performance and it's a bad one. What? Role. No. Uh, 
the uh the, the film also reaches for some obvious tenderness uh by giving the kid a creepy next door neighbor who's rumored to be a mass murderer um the slapstick with the burger the burgers the burglars uh, sorry i'm hungry uh is predictable <laughs> um he said a bright enough script wasn't written uh ebert chimed in with um he would have liked the film more if it was more realistic uh, I love that. But this isn't if, straw if, dogs, Rod. Straw dogs. He said, "What would really happen if a real kid were left home alone?" It's totally unrealistic. I wouldn't want to watch the film, Rog. That's the point. Yeah. Well, well Hirokazu Koreeda did make that film, and uh, while nobody knows, is a wonderful film. Oh yeah. Nobody's watching it every fucking Christmas, are they? What's the title yeah. for that? Uh, nobody, nobody knows. knows. Nobody knows. Um, well, what's, what would happen is he'd call the cops or go next door to a neighbor and tell an adult and that would be the end of the film. So that the, the whole point is that he wished his family would disappear and he gets to indulge in that fantasy. And that's, I, I think they just, they, they missed that. Uh, but something interesting happened because it was number one for so long. They had to oh, they change their mind. Well, yeah. they had to backtrack a little bit because, uh, right. Siskel had to visit the set. Um, and oh, uh, no. it, it, they'd already stopped filming, obviously, but he had to visit the set and uh, Columbus and uh, Macaulay Culkin on the commentary were saying that that was glorious, that he had to go and redo some of the Pesci stuff, um, get to cover it for his TV show. Um, they, yeah, they backtracked. They said it, it's a funny, lightweight, escapist fantasy. It's not badly made uh, and it looks real pretty. Uh, so that was the backtrack. Yeah, that feels like the, you know... Dampening with faint praise. I, I, you know, it, we we say that it, they're from a position of privilege in that they are film critics that get paid to do this. They get to watch the film once and then have to write uh, a think piece, mm. sometimes a puff piece, straight after. <laughs> so it can't, you know, you can get it wrong, but I think they got it really wrong. Like yeah. that's quite a wrong. Well, that was take, his quote. Wasn't? Siskel said, "How could we be so off?" Um, but. Uh, Siskel went on to say, if Spielberg is the poet of suburbia, which I quite liked, uh, then uh, John Hughes is uh, a lyricist or something. Uh, he did notice the Christmas subtext, as he calls it, which is more than a subtext. He noticed it, did he? Good, good yeah, for him. Well, well done. He was awake. <laughs> uh, I think they were just too old and they didn't. They didn't look at it from the perspective of the target audience, which is children. And how can, how can professional critics not see that? We Have d- we been we so d- nice about this film because we watched it as kids and it's everlasting for us? Or no, do I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't Patrick. think so. I'm just asking. I, obviously we are now forever clouded by nostalgia because we watch it every year, but that's the thing, isn't it? It's not we watch it every year because it's like there are lots of films that are on Christmas lists that are pushed down your throats to be like, you gotta watch this every year. I don't watch Miracle on 34th Street every year. You know, the, uh, for comparison, I recently, I, I rewatched, as I always do, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which I also love, but I also noticed that, um, has a lot more flaws than this one. It's, uh, it's, it's more scattered. It's, um, it's episodic. And I, um, and, and you, I do like it, time. but I, but I love it for nostalgic reasons. It's a bit nasty as and well, I, I think, that one, Dev, looking back. Yeah. It, it has its moments, but also some of it, you know, kiss my ass, kiss his ass, you know, happy Hanukkah kind of stuff. It's, there's, there's a lot more of the kind of, you know, Chevy Chase is kind of a prick stuff seeping into it, even though he is very good at what he does. It's, yeah, it's, it doesn't have the, the, the care and construction that this one does. And though, so, you know, 
Do you um do you have any more final thoughts, Callie? No, I think I've said them all. I, I do. I think this is genuinely one of those films that will be evergreen. I don't think it's. I just can never see it falling. And you know, I don't think it's ever going to fall into the trappings of oh, that was made in a different era. I, there's just nothing in it. I don't think that you could f- f- not find fault, but could could pick at that would then lower its standing. Does that make sense? I I just don't, I just, it's a wonderful life has the same thing for me. Um, Obviously we can talk about the fact that it's old Hollywood and diversity, et cetera, of cast. But actually, if you cut away from that and just talk about the story, the storytelling, the filmmaking and its resonance, then I think home alone sits in that space. Um, So yeah, I don't, I don't have anything to say other than if you've never seen this film. Wow. You're in for a treat, and I'd love to be in that space again where I watch this for the first time. But in a way, I do enjoy watching it every time I watch it, so it kind of never diminishes. But I suppose it's the surprise of Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern being so funny. <laughs> the gags are funny, but I laugh now in anticipation of the gag oh. sometimes, knowing when it's, but they always I, I know it's coming. They always, they always hit. They do always hit. Maybe it's something to do with simple um hurt pain you know i used to watch face plants at university on youtube endlessly maybe it's something to do with the primal thing that i like <laughs> watching people get hurt mm. knowing that they're not really hurt although face plants sometimes did have to disclaim it that <laughs> their face was yeah, they are real <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway um yeah, what about you patrick devon yeah I, lo- I love this film um strong top three christmas films ever recommendation from me um matt asked us to write our top 10 favorite films recently i ended up putting this in that top 10 because mm. i i do i am i love it so much and it's quite nice to i'm i'm, I'm quite strict with myself that i don't watch christmas films until the, from the first of december and this is one that i truly look forward to watching and we reference it a lot in my family my dad's always quoting it hey go easy on the pepsi the rubber sheets are packed we say all that mm-hmm. a lot all the time when we're drinking at christmas and there's all of that going on and we're so fond of it and it it does feel fond and warm and familiar and kind of wonderful to me to watch it because it's brilliant and it's not only brilliant from that point of view it's it's hilarious and it's touching and it's balanced and the the thing i noticed this week above everything that i hadn't really paid attention to on microscope as galley would say is the editing i think the editing is fucking extraordinary in this film and really really like top quality filmmaking and it looks great it's directed well the writing's fantastic the performances the cast it it's a superb film and it has some of my favorite like comedy moments ever and yeah well can you tell i, I love it it's, it's brilliant um how about you matt um i think yeah a lot of it's I, i've said already i used to have macaulay culkin's hairline but now i have joe pesci so that's just sad arguably before but uh, th- I think we need to praise the production design and the art direction because the whole thing's like one big Christmas card. Uh, it has a warmth to it. And uh, the photography we've mentioned, it's just quality. It's got a Christmas time magic to it. Uh, I do care less about the slapstick side these days. When I, when I was a kid, I watched it on a completely different level. So now Uncle Frank and the child protection guy uh, <laughs> and, and John Candy are my my highlights. Um but yeah, um, it's, it, 
conjures this feeling of of Christmas time and the nostalgia of it as well. Um, I, I think it is a good film, um, a, possibly even a great film, uh, even with nostalgia aside. Uh, when someone like Kevin Smith slagged it off, I didn't really understand. Did you get any of that on Dogma where he went? Um, Salma Hayek has a line about someone sold their soul to get that piece of shit made. And there's a kid and he, ah, and she does the Kevin face when he puts the aftershave on. Look how broad his humor became. I mean, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? And also he was a big John Hughes fan. Um, and there's a lot of references with, with the Jane Silent Bob stuff, but so I didn't really like that. Um, I think, you know, it can be a, uh, cinema can be a magical thing and Christmas time in particular. And these memories, like some, some people in my family that are no longer with us, I sort of conjures memories of that and all the Christmas has gone by. Uh, I also haven't been home for Christmas for maybe five or six years now. So these things hit me even harder now than, than they used to. Uh, yes, it's a bit schmaltzy and cheesy and soppy at times, but it, it really is family that counts. And, uh, you know, I respond to that sentiment, you know, and, uh, the longer you live and the more baggage you have and the more family members you lose and things, it, hit, it hits you like a ton of bricks, this stuff. I mean, I told you I was, I rolled a tear with him when he picks up his, his granddaughter there. Um, so all, all the little Christmas memories come flooding back and films like this really, help that along and uh yeah uh i think it translates really well you mentioned this about when you asked if the kids in korea knew about it and they do and i think it helps that a lot of that third act really is like a silent film as, as soon as it's set up it plays in any country in any language and you enjoy that slapstick of the last 25 minutes or so and yeah it's still it brings that um that warmth top three with die hard and gremlins i think um, Muppet Christmas Carol sneaking in there but, um, yeah I'll, I'll totally recommend it I will only recommend it at Christmas though because it has extra power at Christmas I don't know who's watching this in the summertime but if if you watch it any anytime as Patrick said from December 1st onwards it's going to draw out those emotions and, and memories and I think it's crucial this time of year to, to pop it on uh, Who's who's next? Devlin? Is it you? Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, this goes like number one on the start in rotation. All the other Christmas films have to fit around this one. Um, there are uh, only a couple that are like, you have to watch it. There are others where you're kind of in and out. Um, this and Muppets Christmas Carol essentially are the two, the two big hitters for me. Everything else, there are, there are films that I enjoy and there are films that I would watch. But, um, yeah, I think it's just like the, for me, it's the definitive Christmas film. It's, um, I have a, a, a deep-seated love for old Looney Tunes cartoons. I always have. Uh, I love that you are not just waiting around for that bit to happen. I love the structure of it, the fact that that is just the big cherry on top. It's only about 12, 13, 14 minutes long, that, se that segment. And it's not the shortest. It's not, it's not an 86 minute in and out. It's, you know, it's, it's a, a relatively um, substantial thing. So that means you've got another hour and a half of film to go and it doesn't flag like home alone Two, as much as I do love it doesn't have that same level of consistency whereby you're, you're in it kind of for the entire runtime. But yeah, every time I watch it never really diminishes. And yeah, it's, uh, um, it's great. To, it's been great to watch it twice in quick succession. Not many films when we cover them, not many films will stand up to me watching it twice in a few days and then talking about it at length. Sometimes you get sick of things and. It, it does just suggest something a little bit extra going on with this one. 
Very good. Great. Very good. Cool. Um, well, team, where can our listeners? I mean, I think there's only one place you can get it now, but where can our listeners, yeah, uh, find Home Alone if they haven't already done what my dad did and taped it <laughs> from two VCRs years in, in uh, the UK, the USA, and South Korea? You can stream it on Disney Plus and, uh, it's to rent in some of the usual places. Voodoo's on there, or Java's on there, Mincemeat, Bing Bong, all the usuals. You mentioned a good DV, uh, Blu-ray <laughs> as well. Matt. Oh, yeah, the Blu-ray in particular, is, is I would go for that. The, the only negative is that if you've got a big telly and it's very, very clear, you can see the terrible stunt doubles uh, when he gets <laughs> smashed in the face with a, a snow shovel. Old man Marley looks like a fourteen-year-old boy. It's when he's um when he's on the the rope line to his treehouse. Yeah, Maca- so. Macaulay had a thirty-year-old stunt double. So uh, <laughs> this is pre-digital face replacement. So you're gonna have a a thirty-year-old man on. Them. I love those. I watched Beverly Hills Cop <laughs> yesterday with Danielle, and yeah. when Axel Foley uh, throws a man into a table, and it, it turns into Hightower from Police Academy. <laughs> But one brief shot, I was genuinely like that. I paused it. It was like, brilliant. I missed the days when a stunt double could be not really a double, but a quadruple. Clarity of image aside, it's got the the commentary with Columbus and Culkin, which is really, really pleasant. Uh, some really funny outtakes, but you can see a lot of it in our playlist. So, uh, but I'd still go for the Blu-ray and pick it up quite cheap. So Devlin, this is the part of the show where we tell people to go and look at stuff, maybe buy it in time for, well, probably we've got rail strikes here in the UK, so you're definitely not going to get it before Christmas, but you <laughs> might want to treat yourself, New Year's resolution, new clothes. So, uh, Devlin, yeah. tell the listeners about our merch. Um, firstly, go to rewindmoviecast.com. There is going to be a blog. Definitely there's going to be a YouTube playlist. I know that Matt has been working hard on that one already. The, uh, there's also a link on the blog to the shop that's re, uh, what is it? <laughs> the Devlin does drawing dot tmail dot com. <laughs> that's where we keep rewind movie podcast merchandise. We've reached 100 episodes. Um, so you can buy a t shirt, you know, you don't have to, but I am guilt tripping you right now that you should. <laughs> and, uh, there's also t shirts and hoodies and posters based on a bunch of other films that we have done over the years and some that we haven't. Um, that's all available for you uh, at rewindmoviecast.com. All the links are there. Very, very Brilliant. good. Well, this, good this is the bit where, yeah, this is the bit where I do my plea to you, which is if you like what we do, then please like, subscribe, spread the gospel team. Okay. Pen a wee review on whatever platform that you listen to us on. It really does help genuinely. Um, also keep, keep sending in your listener requests. We've had another couple through. We've had one from a, a Mr. Joe Kelly team i don't know where he's from yet i haven't worked it out but i will get back to you with something hilarious um next time in the new year um so yeah keep those in you can catch us on the gmail uh i do still every now and again look at the twitter um but you're probably better emailing us because uh yeah twitter's it's just no not not much fun anymore uh let's put it that way uh so <laughs> yes if you do please spread the gospel uh, i also want to say on behalf of all of us Thank you very much if you have been uh, listening to us or you've caught us this year or you've been with us since the beginning. Just thank you very much. We really appreciate it. We love what we do, but obviously we love what we do. But we like to know that it actually doesn't just go into the ether and and 
you know, dire, horrible Give us a second death. series, you shit. Give us a second series, <laughs> you shit. So, yes, thank you very much of you for following the show and supporting us. We do really, really appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing you in the new year. Remember your homework assignment. That's Terminator 2. <laughs> Model 101. Exactly. Thank you, Matt, for pointing it out in case anyone still didn't understand 101. There you go. It's an inferior model like us against a technological behemoth <laughs> like modern movies. You see the analogy pulls through. We're starting 2023 with a banger. Um, so yes, we're looking forward to it, aren't we team? I mean, we kind of talked a lot about Terminator 2 in the periphery. Now we're going to bring it to the four set of karma. There is no fate, but what we make for ourselves. Oh my God. We're oh! back. <laughs> so here we go. Um, Right, we'll say our goodbyes then, team, shall we? All the great ones leave their mark. We're the Wet Bandits of Film Criticism. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you all. It's Gally in Glasgow. Look what you did, you little jerk. (laughs) Merry Christmas to my fellow panellists and to all of our listeners. It's Devlin in London. See you next year. Why the hell are you dressed like a chicken? Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. It's Patrick in London. Say goodnight, Kevin. Goodnight, Kevin. Merry Christmas, everyone. It's Matt in South Korea. Oh, Merry Christmas and have a happy new year. And thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.